0: This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed.
1: Three years ago, I reported to you that there were 6 to 10 million lead service lines still in use. There are still 6 to 10 million lead service lines still in use, in spite of all of the political pressure that's been put to bear in spite of all the media pressure then that's been put to bear it's still the same issues.
0: That's Eric Yegi, WQA's Technical Affairs Director, speaking during a panel discussion at the Mid-Year Leadership Conference at our Industry Update Luncheon. And welcome to another episode of WQA Radio. News and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. You can find us at WQA.org and on social media. This is episode number 139. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and most popular podcast apps. You can also find a link right on the WQA homepage at wqa.org in this episode we hear from eric and three other wqa directors dr tanya lubner our professional certification and training director kelly Fleischman, the wqa product certification director and david Loveday, our wqa global government affairs director plus i'll have our wqa tip now on to the panel discussion led by wqa's associate executive director for member and public engagement tom Bursma, on WQA Radio.
2: So we've prepared some lofty topics. Um, I'm going to introduce them just individually. I'm going to hand it off to one particular person, but then we're going to open it up to the panel uh, for conversation. And hopefully these are Subject of interest uh, to everyone and, and has a, a perspective of relevancy for you as a member. Let's start with training resources. Um, this, there is a lot happening. Polly mentioned certainly some of the things. You are all aware of them with regard to whether it is emerging contaminants, public awareness, we all know is, is rising rapidly for concerns of water quality we have continued to look at what resources, what information, what tools do we make available, not only to members, but to the community at large, um, wherever they may need to have that information available. So I'm going to first turn uh, to Tanya to comment on what kind of information and materials from, a, from an education and a professional certification perspective.
3: Well, believe it or not, we have tools outside of the MEP. <laughs> And uh, two of our best uh, tools for getting information, for getting updated information to the members on training are convention and the annual education kits that all of the certified personnel should know about. But those annual education kits are available to everyone. They are on the website, they are free, And not only that, but they have quizzes. If you want to understand, if you want to be sure you've understood what you were reading about, uh, then those quizzes are very helpful. They're self-graded, and with the kits... When I put them together, I do try to make sure that we have current issues. So if you look back at the last couple of years, you will find PFAS, you will find chlorides, among others. And then as far as convention, yes, not everyone can attend convention, but we do record those sessions. And everyone that attended convention has access, complimentary access, to those recordings that you can share with the people in your organization. And uh, we make the uh, sessions also available for sale for those who were not able to attend convention. And then there is a third resource that every single member can access, and that is the online knowledge base. If you're wondering where our textbooks went, that's where they went. <laughs> There's the textbooks, all of the textbooks, all the way up to master water Specialist plus the certified installer, Uh All of those are there along with updates. So for example, very recently, the technical affairs team put together a new technical note on PFAS, along with uh, treatment, occurrence, all of that. That is in the knowledge base. Every single member company has a username and password that they can access this with. It's available on mobile platforms. And by the way, if you're trying to figure out where those new terms for the Glossary of Terms and the Code of Ethics are, they're also in the online knowledge base. And if you forgot how to access it, please uh, call anybody at WQA and we will be happy to help you.
2: Excellent, thanks, Tanya. Anyone else wanna offer something? Well, I think the
4: education David? part is very important for us when we go out to regulators or our state or when we have a, an issue come up. For example, we had an issue in Colorado a few years ago where a bill was passed in the, the last day of session which stripped our members to install product in in, in Colorado had a, unless you had a master plumber. So 45 cease and desist came out when that when that bill became law. We immediately went in there, worked with the new legislature, worked with the Speaker of the House who understood the issue, the Governor understood the issue, and they were very impressed with the MEP program, our education program. So with that, they brought the plumbers union down. We met with them. They went neutral. They were impressed with the program. They understood that was going to be a very small thing that we were going to do with installation. And uh, the state changed the law and adopted that and or either master plumber or certified installer in Colorado. So that's the kind of times where we use that, t- that information. We have to separate ourselves from, from the bad from the bad actors. But we have to separate ourselves from, from door-to-door scammers, things like that. I think as you see more emerging contaminants come up and the states are going to look for point-of-use and point-of-entry technology as a solution to get them in compliance, I think you're going to see a lot more requirement of a lot of specialty education when you go into these communities if you're going to get funding from either the state or the federal government. So education, this education is extremely important. It will set us apart from everybody else, and so I would encourage you all to look at it and get involved.
2: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya and David. And and David, I'm going to – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eric.
1: One of the things that members might not be aware of is that you also have access to member technical support. So, for example, if there are issues that you're dealing with that are outside the scope of the knowledge base, as Tanya mentioned, they're not covered in the MEP, you can call us, request member tech support. They'll connect you with either myself or Brianna in the audience there and we will research the topic for you a good example of the way this plays out is when people first started hearing about PFAS in the news we got a lot of member tech support calls for what are these four-letter acronyms that people keep throwing at me what do they mean where do these chemicals come from and how can i treat them and so we did literature searches to figure out all of the the answers to all those questions how and most importantly how can you treat for these chemicals? So just wanted to make sure everybody's aware that they do have access to member tech support.
2: Excellent. Thank you, Eric. Uh, you know, kind of a segue off from that is not only is, is the, the content and the knowledge critical, but tracking what's happening in the marketplace relative to licensing, regulations, legislation, oftentimes gets disconnected from the technical aspects because a lot of those folks don't have that visibility and understanding and expertise, which is where WQA largely gets involved. So we do a a large effort on the tracking side of those to make sure that we're aware of them, you're aware of them, so you in your local uh, areas can be aware of what's happening at the state and local as well as the federal level. Um, But I'm going to turn it over to to David just to comment a little bit about what's been happening of late, PFAS-led. Uh, significant issues going on federal and state level?
4: Uh, we're, we're tracking. Well, we have a tracking service that we have that we uh, purchased that tracks all legislation, uh, both at the federal and state level. So right, you know, Kathleen goes through it uh, uh, probably once a week or every, every couple of weeks, but we're tracking right now over 200 bills, both at the federal and state level. That's a record amount of Five or six years ago, if we were tracking 40 bills, that would be a lot. But now with all the legislation going on at the state level after Flint, Michigan, we're seeing a lot of lead still going around, lead bills in schools going around at the state level. Uh, and we also now see a lot of PFOS both at the federal and state level. 23% of our bills right now that we're monitoring are PFOS related um, So it, it's a lot of lot what we're looking at. We've been commenting on a lot of these bills. A lot of it we've been offering technical assistance, making sure for the lead bills that they have the right standards. They describe the standard correctly they, you know, so they address that so they don't have to go back and correct it or limit what they can do. PFAS is going to be a challenge. I mean, uh, the federal government is, is moving slow. The EPA is, is, is looking at it, doing studies. So uh, CDC and HHS doing health effect studies. But the states aren't waiting; they're moving forward, and we are tracking more than 14 states that have already set MCLs or action levels for PFAS. And that's going to be a challenge for the industry. It's going to be a challenge for the states when they get into it. How do you how do you manage it? But um, it's a real challenge on on the legislative side. So we track that. we and Kathleen does a monthly bill list. I would encourage you. We send it out. Look at it. It's on our website in government affairs. We also do an issues report every month of the meetings that we've been attending or issues that we see coming up. Uh, That's also done monthly with Kathleen. She sends it out, so I'd encourage you all to look at those reports. Um, Newark, New Jersey, when that happened uh, with the issue with the the lead, uh, we immediately reached out to both the EPA and and, uh, Region 2, which is New York, New Jersey, Washington, D.C. headquarters, and the Cincinnati Lab, we also reached out to both the city and the state of New Jersey and the city of Newark. And then we also reached out to their engineering firm that was handling the lead issue in Newark. Eric and I have briefed, uh, had many phone have several phone calls with them. I'm briefing them about the lack of their knowledge of what the standard process was, I think, was the biggest is We had to educate them. I'll let Eric talk a little bit about that. But a lot of it was educating the, the engineers, the city, and the state on the standards, what it meant, what the process was. Um, sort of fascinating how little they knew about it and, and the protocols. One of the great things we did a couple uh, last week was have a joint phone call with all the agencies EPA, state, feds, and NSF. We talked together about the issue, what was going on. Um, so it's, it's, we're looking at it, we're involved. I'll let Eric maybe
1: talk a little bit more about it. Well, just in general, in terms of, back to your original question, in terms of emerging contaminants, there's a number of emerging contaminants that I reported to you guys three years ago on that were uniquely suited for point of use and point of entry or in-home treatment. And if you review those issues, you know, issues like lead, we really haven't, uh, those the issues are still the same. Three years ago, I reported to you that there were 6 to 10 million lead service lines still in use. There are still 6 to 10 million lead service lines still in use in spite of all of the political pressure that's been put to bear, in spite of all the media pressure that's been put to bear. It's still the same issues. And PFAS, we've been calling it the, the forever chemical throughout this, this event. The reason that people call it the forever chemical is because as you saw in Frank's presentation at the manufacturer section, it consists of a long background of, of carbon saturated with fluorine, uh, with fluorine um, ions or fluorine atoms, and the there's really nothing in nature that destroys that carbon fluorine bond, so it's just going to be there forever. The sub the actual um, active group might change, but that could change in a good way or a bad way, but that underlying PFAS chemical is going to be in the environment forever until we destroy it. So that's why we call it the forever chemical.
2: Great subject. I'm going to move to our last okay. topic just while we have time, and that's standards that continue to be the foundation around which a lot of these products obviously are evaluated to make sure that they can make claims that are suitable for the application, the marketplace. And Kelly, I wonder if you would just might give us a, a couple of comments and remarks about where things have been moving. We know standards process can be lengthy and cumbersome, um, but we know it's critical and vital to the future of the, of the it, industry.
5: Thank you. It's absolutely vital. It's the foundation of, of much of what we do. Um, The ANSI standards have been able to evolve with emerging contaminants, but as Tom just stated, it's a very lengthy process. An avenue that has helped to support this, that has been accepted and has had success is protocol development. These protocols allow manufacturers to certify products while the information is going through the standards development process, either for um, in addition to an existing standard or creation of a new standard. Two recent examples of this is PFOA, PFOS. The original certifications were to a protocol. And this summer, with a lot of support from Eric Yagi and working with Health Canada, they were de- able to develop very quickly ORD1901, which is a reduction claim protocol to help support the reduction of manganese as a health effect. So there is avenues that are available when industry need, just as outpacing standard development.
2: With that, I'm going to conclude the panel. Please help me thank them for their participation. Thank you very much.
0: And that was our panel discussion from our WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference Industry Update Luncheon, featuring WQA's Technical Affairs Director, Eric Yege, Dr. Tanya Lubner, our Professional Certification and Training Director, Kelly Flashman, WQA's Product Certification Director, and WQA Global Government Affairs Director, David Loveday. All moderated by Tom Bursma. WQA's Associate Executive Director for Member and Public Engagement. Now our WQA tip. If you want to see highlights from our Mid-Year Leadership Conference, head on over to our homepage, wqa.org, and watch the new video that captures many of the images and activities from our time in San Antonio, Texas. You'll hear from WQA President Steve Restrat about why this year's Mid-Year Leadership Conference was so successful. In fact, it was considered one of the best ever. Watch the video at WQA.org. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, news and insights about residential, commercial, and industrial water treatment. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just search for WQA Radio, then hit subscribe. Each new podcast will appear in your podcast catcher or podcast player automatically each week. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to rate and review the podcast as well. Learn more about water at WQA.org and learn more about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed, so long from WQA Radio.